We wrapped up our Double Down series last week. How many of you enjoyed that? Uh, yeah. I'd gotten a lot of feedback from that series. Um, even people that don't attend our church watching it online or watching it on demand, uh, which you can do. Um, you can do it at myhc.church. You can watch it on demand. You can go to Apple iTunes. And if you're uh, unfortunate enough to have that other type of phone, um, I'm sure you can find it somewhere. By the way, if you think I care what kind of phone you have, I told our first service that um, I think we use the term unprecedented, um, I don't know, way too much. I believe the reason we use the term unprecedented is because we don't know history. And we think everything that's happening is happening for the first time. The first time there's ever been any political turmoil like this. It's the first time. In case you didn't know, it's not the first time. If you go back, if you go back to the Middle Ages, to the Dark Ages, if you go back, if you go back to Rome, they were killing politicians back. Do you remember? Did you read about that? So while it is a contentious season in our lives, it's not the first contentious season in humanity. Amen. And so, um, and so we walked through the last six weeks, James, and getting some practicality for life, but I thought it might be appropriate that we get some encouragement as well. Amen. Amen. And so the 23rd Psalm is probably the most renowned portion of scripture in the whole Bible. People that have never had a relationship with Jesus, know the 23rd Psalm, that have never read the Bible, if soon as you say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, they know what you're talking about. The 23rd Psalm has encouraged more people than probably any other verse of scripture, any other chapter, any other book. At almost every funeral, the 23rd Psalm's read, in some weddings, no, that was a joke. <laughs> Just look over, get ready. That valley of death is coming. <laughs> so we're going to look into that the next four weeks. Is that all right? We're going to pick it apart. Find out what David knew that maybe we don't. And encourage our hearts. Do you know, God wants you to be encouraged. He wants you to be encouraged because... None of what happened this year caught him off guard. None of what happened this year caught him by surprise. None of what happened this year in your life or my life or the world's life did God ever look and go, oh, I don't know what to do now. And I think the 23rd Psalm can encourage us during a period like this. Amen? And so that's my prayer for you over the next four weeks. Whatever you're walking through, whatever you're walking through to find encouragement, that God is our shepherd. Amen? Amen. And he's good. Are you ready for that? Yes. All right, I want you to stand to your feet. Hey, we're going to do it differently. I'm not going to read this to you. This is so pop. This verse has impacted so many people, this, these couple of verses. I want us to read it together. Will you do that with me? Because you can read it. Some of you probably have it memorized. 
We're going to read it from the English Standard Version. You can see it up on the screen. Get it on your phone, however you want to do it. So let's do it together. All right, you ready? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Surely, goodness. Come on, isn't that good? Amen. Father, we just thank you for your encouragement this morning, Lord. We pray that as we look into this famous portion of Scripture that you transform our lives. Make us confident in your leading. Make us confident in your provision. Make us confident in your direction. Make us confident, Lord, in the next month that we will live in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you for your goodness to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. He is good. David is writing this, the 23rd Psalm, King David, the second David, the second king of Israel. The first king of Israel was a band by the name of Saul and was... um, as far as following the decrees of God, pretty much a failure. I would say it cut short his reign uh, over the country and paved the way for David to be king. Now, what you have to remember about David being king is David was not somebody that you would just naturally look at, evidently, and pick him as king because the prophet Samuel showed up at David's family's house And went through all the other brothers until he looked at David's dad and said, you got any more sons? He said, yeah, I got this kid out watching the sheep. We'll go get him. Samuel anoints David on that day to become king. But the trajectory between David being anointed king and becoming king was a pretty large section of time. Anybody ever had a period of time between what you knew you were going to end up doing and what you, when you ended up actually being able to do it, have it span a decent period of time. Anybody ever have that happen? There's a difference between when you are called to do something and then when it actually happens. David walked through that. The Bible says that he continued to be a shepherd. We know that because he goes and kills Goliath. And uh, his brothers say things like, shouldn't he be back ten of them sheep? We know that after he kills Goliath, he goes and ministers in Saul's, uh, in Saul's palace. And we know, that, um, we know that he had a spear thrown at him a couple times. The Bible says that when David would play his music, it would soothe the demonic spirit in Saul. And sometimes Saul would have a temper. And the Bible says that he threw his spear at David a couple times trying to pin him up against the wall. I don't know. I've never did a live gig where people were throwing things at me like that. 
We know that David became a great warrior and that Saul chased him and tried to kill him later. We know that there were times where David acted crazy. All this transpired before he actually even became king. David opens the 23rd Psalm by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. David wasn't coming from the point of view of an American male living in a suburb who the closest they ever got the sheep was driving down the road seeing one in a field. David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, having been a shepherd. He knew the intricacies of how to deal with sheep. He knew... He knew what they needed, when they needed it. He knew how to protect them. He knew the whole thing. He had, he had, he had testified in front of Saul that he took the lion and the bear and he, and he killed both of them in protection of the sheep. He knew everything about shepherding. And so when he wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, he knew every context that went with that, with that phrase. My shepherd. The first thing he talks about in Psalm 23 is having a shepherd. Not just any shepherd, but he said he's my shepherd. He's leading me. You know what? I started realizing that everybody needs somebody to lead them. I don't care how far up you are. You need somebody to lead you. Some of you, some of you are like, I'm my own boss. Look to the person next to you. And if you're married, you realize you have another boss. My shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. David is, David is bestowing all the qualities of a shepherd on God himself. Now this was common terminology in the Near East at that point in time when David wrote this to call leaders shepherds and to talk about shepherding people because shepherding was a thing that happened uh, in, in these cultures. And so David wasn't standing out necessarily when he uses vernacular, but he was bestowing all the traits of a good shepherd onto God. And he was signifying that even as the top man, even as the top man, there's nobody above him. Even as the top man, he needed to be led. Even as the king, he needed somebody to lead him. The term shepherd indicated that there was somebody to protect, there was somebody to lead, there was somebody to care. And David knew all that symbolism. He was expressing that even as the highest ranking official in Israel, even as the king, he was under the authority of a greater king. He wasn't an end to himself. He, there was somebody else above him. And it happened to be the king of kings and lord of lords. The Lord is my king. Now I need you to understand this. The rest of Psalm 23 hinges on the fact that the Lord is the shepherd. The still waters, the, the, the green pastures, the valley of the shadow of death, everything else, the table before my enemies, everything else hinges on the Lord being the shepherd. If the Lord is not the shepherd, you're not making it through the rest of it. Amen? Because at the end of the day, let's be honest, sheep are not known as great protectors. You're like, hey man, I got, I got a pet to watch over the house. What'd you get? Did you get a German shepherd? No. Did you get a, did you get a Doberman pincher? No. I got a big old woolly lamb. 
Man, that thing, when somebody comes to the house, shoo. No one's ever said that. Sheep are not protectors. Sheep are not wise in the direction that they run. We happen on, on the end of the road we live on, happens to be a farm with a bunch of sheep. And uh, the funny part is, is they have grass everywhere, but they still run. They just take off running for no reason. Everything's provided for them right there inside the fence field, and they just take off running for no reason. And what happens is one sheep takes off running, and the rest of them just follow like a bunch of flaming idiots. (laughs) David said, the Lord is my shepherd. He knew he needed to be led, even though he was the leader. David ends up a couple chapters after that in Psalm 25, stating his desire for God to lead him. In Psalm 25, verse 4, make, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation for you. I wait all day long. He was saying, even though I'm at the top of the heap. I have the ability to wander off. And if you've read anything about David. He was just like us. Well, maybe not exactly like us. He might have been just a little bit worse than us. I mean, he ended up having an affair and killing the woman's husband. Just for the record, I've never done that. (laughs) Either of them. He knew his own tendencies and he said, I need a shepherd. He knew his tendency to fear. He knew his tendency to trust in himself too much. He knew his tendency to make up his own mind about how things should be. He knew his, his tendency to follow his own desires. He knew his tendencies. And so he lays out in Psalm 23, I need a shepherd. I need somebody to lead, not just somebody. I need the Lord to lead me. I need the Lord who will protect me and guide me and, 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 and cause me to go in the right direction. I need the Lord to do this. And so he makes the proclamation right at the beginning. The Lord is my shepherd. So if you're a leader here today, you need a shepherd. You need a shepherd. If you're a dad here today, you need a shepherd. If you're a mom, you need a shepherd. If you're a, if you're a young person walking through, walking through, through school, you need a shepherd. If you're, if you're in college right now, you, if you're in college right now, you need a shepherd. You need a shepherd. If you're getting ready to make a life changing decision, you need a shepherd that knows the route that knows where the quiet places are and the dangerous places are, knows what the threats are in the neighborhood, knows knows where the lions stay and where the bears stay. He knows everything about the geography of where you're at. Even if you can't see any higher than the height of a sheep, he already knows. And so David is saying, even at my level of success, even at my level of God's blessing in my life, I still need him on a daily basis to show me where everything is, to, to guide me and comfort me and lead me and protect me. I need that in my life. So that's what he starts out with. He's my shepherd. He states that he's under the authority of the one who has all the authority. 
Remember this, everything hinges on that. Everything hinges on us being under the authority of God. Amen? Okay, we got that straight. Everything hinges. He then says, I kind of lumped these phrases together. He said, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. Like that middle section. He makes this proclamation. The Lord is my shepherd. Then he starts talking about that first section, the benefits of the Lord being a shepherd. The benefit of the Lord being a shepherd is one, I shall not want. That he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. So I, sh- I shall not. We, he starts talking about once and restoration in that next little section. Once and restoration. Once and restoration. Now, now there's a really important thing here. If you understand, how many of you right now, just right now, want something? Come on, could we all agree? Just like, I want things. We live in a very unique period of time in a very unique place. I've told you that before. I could probably be safe to say there's nobody here or within the sound of my voice is working today to eat today. That what you make today will go to feed you today. That just doesn't happen in the United States. That we, that when we talk about once, it, it means something different than what David was talking about. When we talk about once, it means something different than, than a lot of the world thinks about. When we talk about once, we, we end up substituting the word desires in that. David's not talking about desires. He's talking about needs. Those are really two different things. And because of the way we live, and listen, I hope you think when I talk about this and I'm not, I'm not casting any, any condemnation on anybody because you have nice things. That's not what I'm talking about. But when we look at scripture and we try to interpret scripture and apply it to our lives, we do have to understand that David is not talking about in the context of what type of car you drive. Or that I want a nicer car, that I want a nicer, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about it in the context that the shepherd provides everything that the sheep needs, everything that it needs. Okay. Okay. Like 75% of you just checked out. You're just like, oh, here he goes again. I know he's going to give me food. He's going to give me clothes, but at least I'd like him to match. Come on, Lord. Like, I know you're going to feed me, but could I get a steak every now and then? We think differently than, than a lot of the world thinks because we have so much at the tip of our fingers. You're not figuring out how to eat. You're figuring out what to eat. You're not figuring out if I can get a car. You're figuring out which car I want when I do get a car. You're not figuring out... You're not figuring if you're going to have a house, you're figuring out, do I want the one with this front porch or do I want the one with this front porch? And in today's climate, you're thinking, if one more person outbids me, we just, we live in a life of abundance and overflow. And when David says, I shall not want He's saying, I won't need for anything. Now, the difference between needs and desires, needs and desires. I need to make a very specific point. 
Not all your desires are godly. And nobody told me anything about you this week, so don't get nervous. Not all of your desires are godly. Not all of my desires are godly. Let's all just confess it right now. Now we're all free. Not all of our desires are godly. Matter of fact, if we go back to James, couldn't stay away from it that long. If we go back to James, James tells us that not all our desires are godly. He actually told us, do you remember? Do you remember when he said that? James chapter, I think he started right out from the beginning with it. James chapter one, where he said, not everything we want is a godly thing. He says that it leads, that, that, that we're dragged away and enticed by our own desires. And when they're full grown, they lead, they lead to sin. And when they're full grown, they lead to death. He says, not everything you want is actually what God wants for you. So David is distinguishing between the two things. He's not saying he will give you all of your desires. He said he'll give you everything you need. Oh man, that's where this Christianity thing starts getting weird. I just want what I want when I want it. So he starts to deal with this. David makes this proclamation right up front. If the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. So Jesus said, Matthew chapter six, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles? Seek after all these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what happens? All these things will be added unto you. So actually Jesus said, if you seek God's Righteousness, if you seek God, then what you need will be provided. Amen? And all these things will be added unto you. So he's saying, even clothes that match. Which, by the way, I'm colorblind. If I didn't check with my wife this morning about what this is, don't hold that against her. Just put it on. Paul writes to the Philippian church and tells them that his God will supply every need of theirs according to his riches and glory. David is submitting himself to the leading of the great shepherd and making a faith-filled statement that he knows everything he needs will be supplied. Okay, watch this. I think there's two types of prayers here. I think there's prayers asking for what we desire and then prayers of faith like what David just said, proclaiming that God will provide what we need. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. I think it would behoove us to pray more of the second way and not the first way. Let me, let me show you what I mean. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's going to lead me, protect me, guide me, provide for me. He's going to do it all. The next statement he makes is a declaration that he believes God will provide everything that he needs. Do you read it that way? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. How does he know that? Because he's making a faith-filled statement that he knows from being a shepherd that the shepherd provides everything that the sheep needs. It was the shepherd's job to lead the sheep 
from one grazing pasture to another. It was a shepherd's job to provide water. It was a shepherd's job to provide safety. So David is saying, okay, having been a shepherd that cares for sheep, I know that God cares for me. So I'm making this statement right now. He will provide. What if we started praying like that? What if we started praying like that? Lord, you're my shepherd. You'll provide. I shall not be in want. I will, there will be no, nothing I need that you will not provide. And then over and over and over and over in scripture and all the way up through the New Testament, Paul is writing to the Philippians saying, he will provide every single one of your needs according to his riches and glory. Not according to your bank account, not according to the state of the economy, not according to to how much you know about business, not according to how, how much you make in your job. No, he will provide everything you need according to his income statement. Boy, that's a pretty good one too. David is making this declarative faith filled statement. I will not be in want. No chance. No chance that the shepherd who leads me will not provide. No chance. No chance. Okay, but but what about these desires? What about them? Because we live in a different world. We live in America where it's not if you're going to get a watch, it's if you're going to get a cool watch. It's not if you're going to get a pair of jeans, are you going to get the right pair of jeans? Come on, somebody help me out. Amen? It's not if you're going to get a purse. Come on, ladies, you just can't go in and get a purse. It's unheard of. You got to walk around a little bit. You got to get the right one. You got to put it back. Walk over the next one. Pick it up. Put it back. Walk over the next one. Come back the next day. I'm going to stop. I feel myself getting in trouble. So, so with the American Christian, we have to deal with more desire than need. Well, we already said not all of our desires are godly. So what, we, what ends up happening is, is it possible that good desires are not godly? Is it possible that a desire you have that your, that your neighbor wouldn't even argue with you about might not be God's plan for your life? So we don't wrestle in America with God providing our needs. We wrestle with him providing our desires. But the Bible indicates that we should be bending our desires towards him. That we shouldn't be in this constant conflict as children of God, as, as following the good shepherd. We shouldn't be in this constant conflict between what I want and what he wants. Because, because Jesus said himself, whatever you ask according, not to your desires, whatever is asked according to his will in his name. Amen? Whatever is asked according to his will, he will give us. So what's that mean? That means I'm bending my desires towards his. I'm bending my desires towards his. Prayer is not bending God's desires towards mine. Prayer is not convincing God why I need that really, really, really nice one. Prayer is me bending whatever I think is right towards what is actually right. 
So, so I've got confidence though, because whatever I ask according to his will, he will give it to me. The problem is, I oftentimes don't ask correctly. James told us that. So here we go. Now we have to deal with David saying, I won't even be in want. And in an American viewpoint, we go, how can that even be possible? They're coming out with a new iPhone. How can he not want that? What's the last time a car manufacturer said, oh, the 2019 will do for a while? No. David said, I'll quench the insatiable desire and I'll be satisfied with him. When's the last time we were satisfied with him? That God was enough. That God was more than enough. When's the last time that in our prayer lives we said, you know what, God? You're my shepherd and you're enough. I have the utmost confidence that where you're leading me right now is enough. That where you're taking me right now will be enough. I have the utmost confidence that you are enough. So David makes sure he deals with stuff. He's my shepherd. I won't want for anything. He's enough. Now, can I say this? If the Lord is not, is not your shepherd, you will constantly struggle with this. Because there is nothing else in life that will ever be enough. Come on. There is nothing else in life that will never be enough. I don't want to startle you, but your spouse will never be enough. If God isn't enough, your spouse will never be enough. If your job will never be enough, your kids will never be enough, your parents will never be enough. No one and nothing on this earth will never be enough if he's not. That's why David said, he's enough. The Lord is my shepherd and he's all that I need. He will provide everything I need. He's enough. I will not be in want. Then he makes this statement. Remember, we're talking about wants and restorations. He makes this statement. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Oh man, I'm telling you one thing, my personality, nobody makes me do anything. Anybody else? Don't raise your hand. Everybody's going to think we're crazy. Does that portion just rub you the wrong way a little bit? Anybody? I'm just like, why are you trying to make me? You remember that when you were a kid? Make me. Throw your shoulders back a little bit. Won't you make me? Yeah. Somebody says, make me. God just went, okay. All right. That's the way you want to play. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I'm a, I'm a forward, like constant motion. Want to keep going. Go, 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 go. Um, we, we inadvertently, I married somebody exactly like me. I wanted to marry her, just found out later she was exactly like me. We never stopped. Boom, boom, boom. And then we started having kids. We were like, sure, they should be on three soccer teams. Isn't this fun? No, you go this way, I'll go this way. We'll meet next week. Constant, run, 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 run. No, they should be in soccer and clubs and they should play two sports and it should be awesome and look how successful we are. And we're all, we're like 30 years old and we're like, oh my gosh. 
He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Is it possible that God knows when you need rest before you do? Speaking of this rest thing, this rest thing is not an American style thing either. This rest thing, because we want to be accomplished, don't we? We want to accomplish everything. We want to to live your life to the fullest and your best life now. And you only live once and you got to do everything all at the same time. And it's, it's fun, by the way. And they tell us it's awesome. All the way from the beginning, God set it up that humans were designed to rest. All the way from the beginning, the God who never sleeps created six days and then it said what? Now, in case you're wondering, God wasn't like, ooh, last six days took it out of me. I think I'll just sleep the next day. God doesn't need sleep. He doesn't need rest. He doesn't ever, he doesn't ever nod off during your prayer time. God's, you're never like, oh, I caught God sleeping while I was praying. If your prayers are that boring, by the way, you should probably step it up a little bit. But um, God never sleeps. The reason he rested was to show you the pattern. To show me the pattern. Matter of fact, you go back to the Exodus and when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and God wanted to show them how that he intended them to live, he said, you better keep the Sabbath. Then when we get, then when we get to the New Testament in the Gospels, you hear that the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for the Sabbath. It wasn't, it wasn't that men were just supposed to keep a rule. It was God saying, I know you. You have to take a break. You can't run like this. And so the good shepherd who knew the sheep and knew what was coming. Oh, see, there's times in my life where I think I have this unending amount of energy and I don't actually, I'll wear myself out before the fight gets there. I'll run and run and run and run and not realize what is ahead of me. But the shepherd always knows what's ahead. He knows that when this grass burns up, we've got a journey to take to the next one. And so he knows that rest is a pivotal part of being whole and restored. And he said, you can't get away with just running and running and running and running and not resting. So what happens every now and then the shepherd makes you lie down. But I'll be honest with you, sometimes it looks like a detour and a speed bump to me. And it looks unnecessary and I get frustrated with it. And I don't understand why it doesn't let me charge ahead. And I don't understand why it didn't let us make more progress. And I don't understand. And he has to communicate, hey, you have to take a break every now and then. And if I have to make you lay down, it may look like I sidelined you. You ever felt sidelined in your life? You ever felt like the plans that you put out and you had them worked out by the minute and you had it all plotted out and it was going to, and then all of a sudden right in the middle of it, the thing just went on pause and no matter how many levers you pulled, no matter how many phone calls you made, it just never seemed to pick up any pace. I wonder if he was making you lie down. I wonder if every time we think something is just not running as fast as we think it should and, and it seems like he pulled us over into the, into the rest area, I wonder if it's, why do we always look at that in a negative context? Why when we read Psalm 23, David said, man, he makes me lie down. I'm going after as hard as a king can go after every now and then. He pulls the van over and says, take a nap. 
take a nap. And what God wants us to do is realize that's a rhythm in our lives. That's a rhythm in our lives. Amen? That's a rhythm in our lives. So if I don't pick up your phone... Well, I don't know why the pastor doesn't answer my phone call. I'm resting. (laughs) Oh, if it was that easy that God could turn your phone off. If it was that easy that that you just say, God, turn my schedule off. The shepherd wants to teach you how to rest. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me to beside so waters. You know what's so important about this? The landscape of the Bible was dry and rocky. It wasn't like, it wasn't like the sheep farm down the street from my house where it's just green fields all summer long and no problems. It was a dry and rocky and dangerous ground. We heard David talk about it, how he had killed the lion and the bear. The shepherd was the one who knew where the seasonal grass and water was located. He knew that when they were in a spot of safety, it was time for the sheep to rest. He knew they had to stop. He knew they had to pause. He knew they, had to, he, he knew they could just march ahead. They knew that they had to stay where they were for a little bit. If you're in a season of life where you just don't seem to be able to gain any traction, consider it, maybe consider it rest. Maybe consider it God knows where you need to stay to be restored. Maybe that's what he's trying to do. Maybe he's actually trying to restore your soul. It might not be a roadblock or a detour. It could possibly be a place to restore you. Ezekiel 34, verse 15, it says, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. Now, I need to give you, I need to, this is, I'm gonna let you into my life a little bit, Okay. It's dangerous. Green pastures and still waters were not designed to give you more confidence in yourself. I make that mistake all the time. I get some rest and then I pop up. I'm like, man, I can tackle the world now. I can get it done. I got some energy. I've rested and I feel refreshed. And now I'm going to go tackle the world. Green pastures and still waters were to give you confidence that the shepherd knew what you needed. Don't ever, don't ever let rest give you confidence that you're indestructible now. Don't don't ever let supply give you confidence that you're doing everything right. Don't ever let, when things are going well, oh man, I must be crushing it. The whole restoring your soul thing is about you having confidence in God, not ourselves. So the reason... The reason he's providing, the reason he's leading you, the reason he's giving you water, the reason he's he's giving you rest is to restore your soul, not give you confidence in yourself, but the one who restores you. So he's saying, hey, listen, this isn't for you to just run off and do whatever you want. This is, this is a restoration process for you. This is, this is you being close to me. This is the shepherd restoring. And by the way, most of the time in my life, I don't lead myself to green pastures and still waters. Many times I don't even know where they are. God has to lead me 
And at the end of the day, he's the one that led me there, made me stop and waited till I was restored. How much patience does the shepherd have with us? He's not a taskmaster that leads you beside still waters, that makes you lie down. He's not a taskmaster that says, come on, come on, drink, 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 drink. Let's go, let's go. Eat your fill, eat your fill, eat your fill. We got to keep moving, got to keep moving. He says, no, we're going to wait and rest here till you're totally filled up. He knows what I need when I need it. He's willing to pause everything for me to be restored. And even when I don't know what I need, he'll make me stop in the place and get it anyway. You ever been on a trip with your kids? You stop at a rest station, you're like, hey, go to the bathroom. I don't need to. Yes, you do. (laughs) Oh, I can tell you do. Because we're getting ready to get in the car, we're not stopping again. Well, I don't have to go. Go. Go anyway. (laughs) Go anyway. But dad, go anyway. Stay in there until it happens. (laughs) We're not moving. What if in your life right now, God was saying, stay here till it happens. Stay here till restoration happens. Stay here till your energy comes back. Stay here till you can forgive. Stay here till you can make it right. Stay here till you can mend the relationship. Just stay. Stay because guess what? The rest of Psalm 23 deals with the valley of the shadow of death. And you don't want to jump in that thing dehydrated. You don't want to jump in that thing out of, out of energy. You don't want to jump in that thing unrestored. Amen? You don't want to jump in that thing off guard. You want to jump in that thing. The shepherd says, you know what? We've been by the creek. We've been in the still waters. We've been, we've been, in the, we, we've been fed. And now if the valley of the shadow of death has to be walked through to get to the next restoration, we can handle that. But you got to trust him when he says stop for a second. Stay in there till it happens. Because we're not getting out of the car until we get there. Restoration, to restore your soul. I seem to remember, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses? Could we say, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet his soul never is restored? God's not worried about really how much you gain. He's worried about how restored you are. And so if he's pausing your life for a second to restore you, start praying, thank you for the still water. Thank you for the green pastures, Lord. Thank you for the restoration. All right. He did the, my shepherd. He did the want and restoration part. He's going to restore our souls. Then he gives us the reason why he restores us. He's leading me. How's he saying? Anybody remember? Let's let's do it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his namesake. Come on, the band's going to come up. I want you to get this. Okay. David says, he's my shepherd. He'll provide everything. He'll make sure I have all that I need. He'll restore me. And then he qualifies the whole thing he just said before that. 
And he leads me the way he leads me in paths of righteousness. So he's not leading me off to the left, off to the right. He's leading me exactly how his will designed to lead. He is leading me in paths of righteousness. But then he gives the motivation for leading us that way. The motivation for restoring your soul. The motivation for healing you. The motivation for delivering you. The motivation for the whole thing. What was it for? Oh, now again, this flies in the face. You've heard me say this before. This flies in the face of American culture. Because we want followers. I just looked at my Instagram the other day. I'm so proud. I can't believe it. I haven't posted anything on Instagram in like months. Really. Six months, eight months. I'm just kind of whatever. I'm still getting followers. It's it gets me right here. I made a plea to you guys. I said, hey, could you get me over 400? And then right now I'm like 404. So, I'm pretty sure there's kids in preschool that have more followers than I do. Here's the thing. If God has made you successful, it's not for your name. In an age where everybody wants to be popular, everybody wants to have followers. In a society where your credibility depends on how many people like what you put on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or whatever else there's out there. He said, I'm doing this for my name, not yours. And it hit me, it hit me, it hit me. Look, I think I was, I think I was and am a pretty good dad. I think I was. I think I'm an okay husband. She's not in here this morning, so I'm going to just say, okay. I think I'm trying to be a decent pastor. But I had the revelation when I was reading this, that even if I was the best on the planet, I can't save any of you. You could follow me for the rest of my life and your life and you, you, you could go to hell following me the rest of your life. It's, it's, it, the best I could possibly be can't save you. The best I could possibly be can't heal you. The best I could possibly can't restore you. And Satan has tricked us in our modern way of thinking, Satan has tricked us to think, well, the be- like if people just followed me, sure, my life might be a little more organized and I might be able to clip coupons and I might get a better deal at the car dealership, but I won't be saved. So David said, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So you know what David said? If I'm successful, the glory goes to him. If we're, if we're a successful church, guess what? People look to him. That's what has to happen. We have to realize that in our best days, we're still, we're still sinners. We're still, we're still not capable of saving somebody. And so, so at the end of the day, if he's leading me and I'm rested and restored and all these things are provided, that it's for his glory, not mine. That if my life and all the great leading 
that God has done in my life and the great providing and the great and the great restoration. All that points to me, that's not a good deal. But if it in turn through my life points to him, amen, said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. David says before Jesus was ever crucified, he's leading me for his name. And I want to tell you is, is if the church could ever get this right, if we could ever just say, you know what? It's not about us. It's not about how successful we are. It's not about, it's not about how many followers, not how, how many attendants. It's not about any of that. It's about, are we following him, the great shepherd and giving him the glory for all the, the great things that he has done. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet. I want to leave you with this. We were filling out some documents in the in the, um, in the office last week, and I had a I had a guy message me, and he said, "Hey, I need the church attendance for the last three years." And I went, "Are you kidding?" I said, "You really want the church attendance numbers for 2020?" I'm like, "For what?" 2018 was great. 2019 we grew. I said, we had six weeks and nobody came to the church. Why would I give you those numbers? Nobody was here. Then I started looking at this. And I started to realize that God was saying, hey, Chris, this ain't about how many people showed up on Sunday morning. This is about me leading you for my name's this ain't about how many people tuning in online. This ain't about this ain't about how many people you have in your company. This ain't about how many people you have online. This ain't about how many people know your name. It's about how many people know his name. Amen. And he said, I will lead you as long as I get the glory. I'll lead you. And so what I did, I decided, David decided, I'll trade it, Lord. You've treated me so good. You get the glory. Why would I want your glory, Lord? So here's what we get to do today. We get to we get to rest in the fact that he's our shepherd. We get to rest in the fact that he provides. We get to rest in the fact that he wants you to rest. We get to rest in the fact that he can restore you. We get to rest in all that. And then at the end of the day, we can say, it was all you. It wasn't anything to do with me. It was all you. Amen. So Father, we pray that way this morning. We thank you, God, for leading us. We thank you for providing. We thank you for restoring And we thank you, God, that you're faithful. And it's all yours, Lord, every single bit. And we pray that our lives will reflect that. We pray that when people look at us, they see you. We pray that when people see us in the goodness of you in our lives, that we would give you all the glory and honor. And Lord, we pray, God, that when we give you glory and honor, it would raise you up in other people's lives. And you would draw them to yourself. shepherd that you've been that and you are that to us we thank you in jesus mighty name we pray come on could you give him honor and glory one more time he's good hey listen encourage somebody on your way out rest in the shepherd this week and we'll see you back